Hello and welcome to Dialogues in Dermatology. I'm Dr. Lauren Council, your Editor-in-Chief. We have another exciting podcast for you today. We hope that you enjoy. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of the JAD podcast as part of Dialogues in Dermatology. My name is Vinod Nebudiri, and I'm pleased to be here today with Dr. Antonella Tosti, and we're going to be discussing her recent article in the March 2021 JAD entitled Oral Minoxidil Treatment for Hair Loss, a Review of Efficacy and Safety. Dr. Tosti, welcome to the program, and thank you so much for joining us today. If I could ask you to just briefly introduce yourself to our listeners, tell us a little bit about where you're currently based and what your work focuses on. Hello, thank you very much for inviting me here. My name is Antonella Tosti, so I'm Italian, and I think you can see very well from my pronunciation, okay? And I am an expert in hair disorders. I now work at the University of Miami, where I'm a professor at the university, but I was a professor before at the University of Bologna, and I've been working on hair all my life, and I'm now president of the American Hair Research Society. So that's why I got interested in this new way to administer minoxidil to patients, because uh, patients often hate to apply a solution on their scalp. They want alternative. And I think we should be open to help our patients at the best. Wonderful. Well, congratulations on all of your accomplishments. And thank you again so much for joining us for this discussion. I'm really looking forward to hearing about your expertise and insights on the use of oral minoxidil. Maybe just as a background for our readers, what got you interested in examining this question? I know you mentioned the patient side effects. Maybe say a little bit more about your own experience with uh, patients on topical minoxidil or other questions that stimulated this work. The idea of uh, utilizing oral minoxidil, it's uh, not so new, maybe five years, six years old. And uh, I saw results at different meetings, and I saw that was a treatment that is basically very safe if uh, the dose is appropriate. And that's part of the problem. The other problem, as I was saying before, patients hate using topical treatments, okay? Because these topical treatments need to be used twice a day. And so the hair is never clean. And the main complaint of patients about minoxidil is that also it reminds them the problem because they have to put the solution on the scalp and every time they see their alopecia. So it's something that also from a psychological point of view, patients don't like. And so they are not compliant. And if they are not compliant, they don't improve. So uh, this is an idea to improve compliance. And I'm I'm not saying that I just use oral minoxidil by itself. Often I use oral minoxidil in combination with topical minoxidil. So for those patients that are not really perfectly compliant, at least can cover a little bit more. Wonderful. I know we've all encountered patients in our clinical practice that have struggled with topical minoxidil. And I think your comment about the psychological aspect is really a fascinating one that we're asking patients to sort of pay attention to that area of their 
scalp or of their skin that's having active issues and the psychological impact of that is definitely one worth noting. Maybe if we could have you walk us through what were some of the key findings here in your review? I know you put together over 16 or you found 16 studies in the literature that examined oral minoxidil for alopecia. What were some of the key takeaways that you came across? No, very important is the idea that it can be used in any type of alopecia. So oral minoxidil is not just a treatment for androgenetic alopecia, but has been utilized with good results in alopecia reata, for instance. There are a few studies that show that in alopecia reata, even in combination with JAK inhibitors, can be an option. And then uh, there is a, a small study in uh, lichen planopilaris where it's useful not to grow hair because, of course, lichen planopilaris is a scarring alopecia, but to improve the thickness of the other hair. And so the quality, the general quality of the patient is better. And then, of course, it's a, a very good treatment also for, for telogen effluvium, because sometimes in telogen effluvium, you want to give something to the patient, and, but if you start topical minoxidil, that's a, a long journey, and then you have problem when you want to interrupt the topical minoxidil. The oral minoxidil instead is a very good option, very good option. And then the dose that you use should be low. Because if the dose are not very low, you can have side effects. And something that is not in the paper, but I wanted to make people aware of, is that sometimes pharmacists make a mistake if you compound the oral minoxidil. Why? Because they don't know about this low dose. And so I always try to not to compound, but to utilize the, the one that is on the market and to cut the tablets, okay? Because compounding, if you want to compound, you have to find a compound pharmacy and speak personally with the pharmacist and in order that the pharmacy understands what we are doing. Then dose ranges, the papers have a very different dose range, but the range is from 0.25 milligram minimum dose to maximum dose for women usually is 1.25 milligram. My suggestion from my experience is always to start low because there are different type of responders and some people are very good responders, but they then grow also hair on the face or on their hands and are not happy. So it's better to start low and to increase the dose when needed. So I see the patients after maybe four months, and then at that point, I can increase the dose. And in the literature, there are very, very few side effects. They monitor the blood pressure. Basically, the blood pressure didn't change in most cases. But in the real life, most women, they say they, they lower their blood pressure. So what I do, now they have all these device, okay, I have one here, that monitor your pulse, your blood pressure. So they're inexpensive, maybe that's a good idea. So the patients can monitor and tell you if it's true, or maybe it's just a psychological side effects. 
Great. I think you make a, a wonderful case for using something like a Fitbit or an iWatch to keep track of our patients and their side effects. I love it. Sounds like a great plan. Tell me a little bit, when you have a patient coming to see you for hair loss, where does oral minoxidil kind of fit in your treatment ladder or treatment approach? Is it something you reach for as a first-line treatment for some of your hair loss patients? Do you typically reach for it in conjunction with something else as a first line, or is it more of a second line if they've already tried other things? So now I use a lot oral aminoxidil as a first line because I think it's a very safe and useful, I would say, in most cases. Of course, you have to keep in mind that it's not a fast treatment. It takes time to see the results if you use the low dose I was discussing. Because sometimes patients take more than the dose prescribed, and then it's fast. If they take like five milligrams, they may see results in two months. But then they have hypertrichosis, they have many other problems. So with 0.25 or 0.5, you it takes you at least six, eight months to see the difference. So I usually start the oral minoxidil and at the same time start in androgenetic alopecia, uh, the topical minoxidil, or maybe I decide to start an anti-androgen. In alopecia reata, of course, I don't use oral minoxidil as a first line treatment. No, this is definitely maybe third line treatment. And uh, in scarring alopecia, Maybe second line, I, I usually prefer to use the topical first and then, uh, you know, maybe then the oral in addition later on. Great. That's very helpful for thinking about where this fits with different kinds of alopecia and different lines of therapy that we might be reaching for oral minoxidil. When you reviewed the literature, what are some of the big unanswered questions that you think are still out there regarding the use of oral minoxidil for alopecia? First of all, we still don't know the mechanism of action, okay? And that's big. And we don't really know if uh, the sulfotransferase activity has some role with the oral minoxidil as with the topical minoxidil. Possibly yes, because you know we, we see even with oral minoxidil a big difference in their response. Not everybody responds in the same way, okay? Even in terms of side effects like hypertrichosis, not everybody has uh, the same complaint and ob- objective side effects. So probably still we don't know very well how the drug acts and how it's metabolized. In your review, you comment that some of the studies, patients were given both oral minoxidil and something else as an oral agent, maybe like a beta blocker or like a spironolactone to maybe combat some of the side effects. Do you find when you're using the low dose oral minoxidil, you have to give additional oral agents? Uh, not really. The, the problem in the study is that, uh, for instance, Rod Sinclair, that was the first that really started introducing uh, oral minoxidil, he used to associate spironolactone to prevent the edema because sometimes they have uh, ankle edema. But in my experience with low dose, this is not very common. And then the spironolactone further uh, lower the blood pressure, so patients may be complain for that. So I never add the spironolactone in the beginning. I may add later on, but I don't start together with the minoxidil, the spironolactone. 
And for hypotension, some people add salt to help, but I usually don't. For the hypotension, I tell them to, to take just before going to bed and to monitor. Do you find that there are any patients or any particular comorbidities of patients in whom you steer away from thinking about oral minoxidil or any categories of patients for whom you would think this would not be a great medication? Absolutely, yes. And what we have to change is the history that we take, because now I take in the history from the beginning, if they have any heart problem, any blood pressure problem, pheochromocytoma, which is an absolute contraindication. So I ask for these things from the beginning, not when I prescribe the medication. So those patients who had some cardiac problems, I would never prescribe. Patients with history of tachycardia, arrhythmia, those are exclusion, absolute exclusion criteria. Because even if the dose is low, this is something that is not approved. You have to be very, very careful. For conditions like telogen effluvium, androgenetic alopecia, where you think oral minoxidil maybe has a first or second line use case, how do you see the landscape of treatment for these conditions kind of evolving in the near future? Do you think this is something that deserves much more widespread use or this is sort of a nice to have, but maybe not a silver bullet? I think it's a kind of silver bullet. We have so few treatments for these conditions and even the new treatments in development are still few and most of them didn't success in the clinical trials. So I think this is the new thing that we have. I think it's a bullet. And even for men, you know, with all these uh, finasteride, uh, new information about the possible risk of suicide, and it's easier sometimes to prescribe oral minoxidil if, if the patient wants a pill than uh, finasteride. That's a great question for androgenetic alopecia. Do you ever consider combining both oral minoxidil and oral finasteride if a patient were to come to you? Yes, I consider combining both, and I have patients taking both, but nowadays uh, it's very hard to prescribe the finasteride because everybody's on Google, and if you just Google finasteride, you get, I would get scared if I was a patient. Understood. It's definitely something that I've had come up in patient conversations and talking through it is challenging. So I get where you're coming from. As absolutely. Well, in our last few minutes, are there any key takeaways for our listeners that you want them to remember or to think about in particular regarding oral minoxidil for alopecia? You know, I think it's a safe medication we have to keep in consideration so avoid to compound the medication because that's where you risk the real side effects. And of course, try always to be sure of the diagnosis because this is something that people often don't have time to do because these patients with hair problems speak for hours and you know they overwhelm you. But it's very important you know, to be sure of the diagnosis before because of course oral minoxidil helps but depends on what the diagnosis is. Excellent. Well, I want to thank you so much for those wonderful pearls of insight regarding the practical 
applications of oral minoxidil and for your study in the JAD this month, which I, I think provides a lot of great background and helpful information for us as dermatologists as we think about, as you said, adding to the limited treatment strategies that we have for challenging to manage conditions such as telogen effluvium, alopecia areata, and really all forms of hair loss. I want to thank Dr. Tosti for joining us here today, and I want to thank all of you for tuning in to this episode of the JAD Podcast for Dialogues in Dermatology. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. We hope you've enjoyed this edition of Dialogues in Dermatology. This is Lauren Council, your Editor-in-Chief. For more podcasts, including bonus issues, check us out online at the website of the American Academy of Dermatology or through the Dialogues in Dermatology app. You can now also sync your subscription to your favorite podcast app. New podcasts are released each week in addition to our monthly JAD podcast. We hope you enjoyed these new options for listening to Dialogues and the increased content for your listening pleasure. Thank you.